Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Thanks for joining us. Today in The Things We Say, our show name is The Things We Say, this is Sheldon. And this is Nate. And we talk about things. Um, one of the things that we talk, we, we talk about a lot of things that are personal to us and where, where we come from, our backgrounds are a little bit different, even though we've ended up at the same church and believing a lot of the same things. Right. We didn't come to those conclusions necessarily by the same routes no. or through the same family tree or anything like that. So when you guys see us or run into us, you might think, wow, they have a common vision. They have a common way of looking at the world. We're both fairly libertarian. We're, you know, we've got, um, we're in the Nazarene tradition now. And it's just, it's something that we have a lot in common now. But what I like about me and Nate is how we came at these things from totally different (laughs) angles. And sometimes through cases of rebelliousness and through <laughs> cases of hard learning and through cases of careful discipline of our fathers mm-hmm. and our and the prayer of our mothers and whatever else. But here we are. <laughs> so um, today, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was um, the concepts of Christians and war and non-resistance and peace and that kind of thing. Um, so I didn't know what to title it, but we can title it discussions on non-resistance yeah. if we want to do that. Yeah. Um, so go ahead, Nate. Okay. Well, I've, I've, um, kind of come from that camp of, uh, where I wasn't like the hardliner, you know, the militant kind of, of Christianity where they literally, which is a very small, uh, subset, but where you think it's like a, a militaristic type of kingdom setting up the kingdom of God, uh, you know, but mine was like, you know, we believed that there was, you know, growing up, there is war that is just, there is war that is unjust, and there are things that it's okay to to participate in, uh, as long as the, the, the motive and and the, 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 the if the cause is righteous, if essentially, the cause is just, that, yes. that, that, that would, uh, that would um, allow someone who is a believer in Christ to, to participate in war. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of my initial um, background, and I'm kind of still there. Uh, you know, I mean, this was not something that was really talked about a lot. It's interesting because you know, growing up in in the in the '80s, you know, in the Reagan era, it was kind of an, an interesting time. You know, with the Cold War going on still, and and just just kind of. Uh, Patriotism was at an all-time. High. It was at an all-time high. Yeah, it was at an all-time Maybe high. Maybe only equaled shortly after 9/11. Right, and it and it was very much centered around you know that was when the rise of what they called uh, you know the the silent majority uh, or the moral majority. I'm sorry, not the silent majority. The moral majority movement that happened in the late 80s and early 90s, where where political and and worldview and uh, really nationalistic things kind of started to really get entangled with the Christian religion and, and you get a lot of what you view as the extreme right, uh, by a lot of people today. Um, so I grew up 
not in the heart of that, but with, with the flavors of that in a lot of what was going on in my life. So, you know, it was kind of that, you know, war is a terrible thing, but sometimes it's necessary and, and there are justifiable reasons, uh, to fight. There are things that are worth fighting for that are things that are worth dying for. And that does not, uh, negate or, uh, or somehow, uh, overrule, um, our Christianity, our devotion to Christ. Yeah, and I came from a little bit different tradition. I grew up in eastern Pennsylvania in a Mennonite community. I was raised on the mission field by Mennonites, and I went to a Mennonite church. I was baptized into a Mennonite church. Um, and I will I will say this before we get too much further. If, if you're a soldier, you've served in the military, and this discussion is hard for you to listen to or whatever— I just want to say I have the utmost respect for you. I really do. And Absolutely. some of the finest people I've known have served our military. And it's one of the qualities that makes them like such wonderful people. And, and the things that the military does for people and, and just the characteristics that it builds up and in a lot of people can have a very positive effect. Right. There are some negatives that people experience and, and there are definitely traumas that people experience Absolutely. Um, while serving our country and f- for being willing to go through that. I, I salute your courage. Right. And I'm able to say this over a mic in a free format because of people that have laid Absolutely. down their life for me. And I can't express enough how grateful right. I am. Um, so that's, that's coming from both me and Nate. I Absolutely. mean, we, we both, honor people. I have a cousin that was wounded in Afghanistan and, you know, I don't know a finer person, you know? So, and, and so as I, as we talk about this, don't feel slighted or put off or anything, but, um, I, I just want to explain where I came from. And that was a Mennonite Anabaptist tradition where we were taught that non-resistance was a way of life, that we were not to defend our honor, defend our church, defend our God with a sword, with, you know, with the use of force. And um, Mennonites today would be called a peace church. There's several of them. Um, the Brethren are a peace church. You could say that the Amish are as well. Um, there's, um, I feel like I'm leaving out a ton of traditions yeah. that are peace churches, but it became would, a main... Would like Quakers fall under that, or would they Absolutely. be more to the extreme? Um, I think... I don't. I haven't had much interaction with Quakers, but I, I would say that's. Accurate. I think Richard Nixon was a Quaker, which I've always found hilarious. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. I'm pretty that. sure he was. I'll I'll do I'll do a fact check on that and post it in the notes <laughs> somewhere uh, below this podcast. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that he was, and I find that funny in a morbid sense. But you know, whatever with that. But it was it was my tradition to find other solutions to co- to conflict other than violence. Yeah. And it, violence was preached against. It was not to be used under, under any circumstances. Um, the Anabaptist tradition is full of people that were persecuted, yeah. first by the Catholic Church in, in uh, Europe, and then they fled here for security and protection. Um, they suffered after the Protestant Reformation, that kind of thing. Right. So that was where Anabaptism was founded. And many of our ancestors were burned at the stake. Were, right. There was a lot of things that happened. Um, and then they came over here, and there was a civil war in which they didn't take sides. There was a revolutionary war in which they didn't take sides, and they took a lot of heat for it. Right. Um, and so the community was very tight-knit, very well took care of each other. Um, 
and had already shown long consistency down through the ages of being able to face conflict um, and, and face both sides and say, you know what, I understand that you believe that this person is evil enough that you want to kill them, but we're going to take a different route and we're going to treat the wounded of both the Confederates and the Union troops. Mm -hmm. And and we're going to do the same for the British as we would the American forces. Right. And so to someone in today's America that's just listening to this, you might say that's a weird way of life. But it, it came out of a very real place. And even in World War II, they were conscientious objectors. Right. They, they said, we conscientiously object to going to war and to serving. And so um, what America did to some conscientious objectors was pretty brutal. Yeah. I mean, there were actual camps where they were doing hard labor and things right. like that. Some were put on put on the front lines, treating wounded, things like that. Um, I don't know all the stories. I wish I knew more. Yeah. Um, because that is my tradition. And so I went to a private Mennonite school. Um, so I was taught this all the way up through eighth grade. Um, and even further than that in my local church. So in my youth group and in the church that I was, that was a part of my tradition. Um, and we'll get into it later where I actually stand now and how I came right. out to some of that stuff. Um, but some of the basic tenets of non-resistance is a two kingdom concept. And we take this yeah. almost to an extreme that a lot of traditions don't. And the two kingdom concept says that we are not of this world. We are aliens and strangers in this land. And the Bible teaches that, that this world is not ours. And so national boundaries are not a big deal to, to Anabaptists yeah. and to Mennonites. Um, the, and national boundaries aren't a huge deal. Cultural boundaries aren't a huge deal. Um, even though they seem like a closed white Germanic right. you know, <laughs> community that doesn't have very much diversity, um, the tradition of Anabaptism is to go out and right. to be missionaries and to create disciples of all nations, and they really do. Um, the One of the main scriptures that's used, um, and it's really hard to refute when you hear it, Matthew 5, verse 39, Jesus talking, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other cheek also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. Yeah. We don't see this a lot preached in a lot of churches across America. And this does not matter what translation you put it into. Right. Um, Basically, do not resist an evil person translates do not resist an evil person right. in every translation. Um, and we all know turn the other cheek. We all know go the extra mile. And those are phrases that we use. We never use the phrase don't resist an evil person. Yeah. Because it requires something of you. Um, it requires something totally opposite of our normal human reaction right. when we encounter an evil person. So the two kingdom concept says that I'm living for a different kingdom and my home is not here. So you can't take anything away from me that I don't, that I, I haven't been given anything. I don't own anything. I don't, you know, and yeah. it's often um, an idea that this world is not ours. And 
that Christ is not of this world and his kingdom that he set up is not of this world. Right. And so to defend things of this world against immortal beings, because we believe that humans right. continue to live on right. after they die. You're, you're going to either spend an eternity in heaven or you're going to spend an eternity in hell. And that's when that moment comes is not for us to decide. Right. And so um, a non-resistant lifestyle basically takes that, takes these, this and other scriptures to say, Jesus did not resist even to the point of death, mm -hmm. and neither are we too. Yeah. And when Jesus says, put away your sword to Peter, he's telling us to put away our swords. And um, I find in scripture, it's very easy. It's, it's very easy to defend non-resistance through scripture. Yeah. Um, I think you might have some questions on that. Well, it, it's, it's, uh, it's always interesting to me because when I look at that and when I've read that scripture, I agree with you, you can't refute it. But I also look at that and I say, he's talking about me. Like he's talking about if, if, somebody, if somebody's coming after me personally and, and, and they're attacking me, attacking my character, atta like don't, don't resist. But when I, when I superimpose that over, over you know, the rise of, of an evil power like Nazi Germany or, or someone breaking into my home and is going to harm my wife or my kids, like that takes on a different, a different timbre to me. You know, I mean, I would, I would respond much differently to somebody breaking into my home if it was just me inside the house than knowing that, you know, my son's asleep downstairs and, you know, my wife's here, you know, who's, you know, what, five months pregnant now is, is lame. So, I mean, I'm not going to let anything happen to them, you know. Yeah, and that's one of the main questions. I mean, that was something that our youth group discussed. Yeah. And that's a group of, you know, 40, 30 kids sitting around and a youth leader, and we're talking about what happens if somebody comes up and what happens if somebody breaks into your house right. and wants to do harm to you? What do you do? And so in the non-resistant belief is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness of this world. We are going to place our full and total trust in Jesus Christ at that moment and say, God, I have no other resource. Yeah. I have you. And I need you to intervene. And there's been stories of missionaries that their families were being attacked, their 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 houses, their very lives were at risk, and they cried out to God, and the Lord intervened. And mm -hmm. history is full of Christians right. where this happened. And so we're saying in a modern day, we believe this. And we have to say that if we believe it for someone else, we need to believe it for us. Yeah. And so in the face of direct evil coming against my family, I'm not going to resist an evil person. I'm going to cry out to God, and I'm going to wrestle in the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And to me, I, I still revere that. Yeah. Like, that's not where my personal belief is at this very moment sitting here today. Yeah. But I revere that heritage right. of the courage that it takes to face evil and say, now some people would say, you face evil and you do nothing. That's weakness. That's cowardice. Right. But not in the way we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. Not the way the people in a non-resistant tradition would talk about it. Right. They are actively warring in the spirit. Right. And it, it creates a total reliance on God 
in a way that you see in the Old Testament and you see in the New Testament and right. you see in Jesus the entire time. Well, and, and it's one of those things that I even I even see it more through that prism if it's if it's persecution because of the faith. Like yeah. that that even takes on a different role to me like of what how we're to respond. You know, so 80s Reagan Christianity would have went pretty Rambo yeah, on absolutely. somebody coming to destroy the faith. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whereas in those cases, I, have, I, I see too many biblical mandates of if someone is attacking you because of me, you know, if, 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 they're, if they're persecuting because of me, you know, count it as a blessing. And so I'm looking at that, and I'm like, okay, there, there's definitely different rules that are going to apply in those circumstances. Um, then if it's, and again, that's, that's the thing I always come back to, again, more than even, even, you know, looking at home defense or those kind of different things. But when you really start looking at, at, at the rise of powerful evil that has the potential to dominate the world, is it, are you abandoning justice when you don't resist? And that's the thing. I mean, they, as, as far as from the non-resistant tradition, they would say that non-resistance is not a passive term. Absolutely. It sounds like but a I negative agree with that. term. It's just the absence yeah. of resistance, but actually they're very proactive about justice. And, and that's where the social justice things comes in. That's where, you know, giving to the poor comes in. That's right. where, you know, um, helping out people that are downtrodden, people that are victims of violent crimes. Um, non-resistant people are some of the most compassionate people Absolutely. to people that have suffered violent crimes and violent history. So there is a justice when someone, they would say, when someone comes to someone who's had injustice done to them. We are to weep with those who meet, weep, Absolutely. mourn with those who mourn, and, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. Right. And to them, and, and the way I was taught, peacemaking is an active thing that does not require violence. Now, being a conservative Republican for a lot of years, I came to know the idea of, peace through power and peace through strength. Yeah. And that was a totally diametric thing. Like that, that was a total mind shift for me to see, like when somebody says that total peace only comes through total victory. Right. That to me was not something I had experienced. It right. was a lifetime struggle yeah. of finding peace in the middle of violence without resorting to it. Yeah. Rather than totally taking the victory over the violence, and then having peace. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a totally different way of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, there, there, are, there are bits of it, there's essence of it that, that I can look back on in my own history, and I can say, yeah, that, that, those were things that I, I believed or that I, I took on or that I was taught. But again, it's, it's, it's when you look at it from that touching every area of life perspective of, of non-resistance. And that's what I have to say about non-resistance right here. If it's not a total life thing, and it doesn't affect every area of your life, it's total falsehood, yeah. and it's just wishful thinking. Yeah. If you say, I'm not going to resist somebody that comes to do harm to my family, but then someone sues you personally, and you hold up in court, and you fight this all the way out, what's the point? Yeah. You're resisting them using the arm of the law and everything else, and the very next passage down says, if he sues you, let him take it. Yeah. You know, and so if you're going to take that literally and you're going to make your lifestyle non-resistance, somebody comes up and punches you on the street, I don't want to see you swinging back. Yeah. Because you have 
made this your lifestyle. Right. You know, and that's <laughs> one of my more less reverent friends was saying, you know what, I just want to go to one of these Mennonite colleges, walk down the sidewalk and just pop a guy, right? You know, pick out the strongest guy and smack him right in the nose and see what he would do. Yeah. Like, how real is it? And I'm like, well, first of all, that's, you know, <laughs> there's so many laws that you broke right, religiously, of course, of like course. assaulting somebody just based on their religion. But he, he was trying to make a larger point. He would have right. done that. But that it only extends to the mental construct that you have and not yeah. into actually anything that you're doing. Right. Um, but when I've seen it lived out most consistently, it's been people that that was their way of life. Right. Absolutely. And um, one it, of the main questions is the Old Testament. People yeah. usually ask about that when you get to not resist. Yeah, of course. But. Of course. Um, one of the things that's, and, I, and I'd, I'm actually going to, I don't know this, unfortunately, so I'm going to have to do some research, but I'm going to have to lo- actually look at that scripture and I want to see it in context. Because I feel like that's also one of those things that you could maybe pull out and you can look at this one section of Scripture that's, again, unto itself, looks like it's completely, you know, there. But you've got, you know, again, cases of Scripture where, the, where Jesus said, you know, unless you hate your mother and hate your father, you don't love me. Well, okay, he's not being completely literal there. You know, there's, yeah. there's a specific thing he was speaking to in that moment. And so, again, I, I can't speak to that right now, but I'm actually kind of curious to go and, and... Yeah, Matthew 5 is interesting all the way through. He yeah. talks about divorce, and then he goes on to, like, taking O's, and you should say, let your yes be yes and right. your no, no. And this is also why non-resistant people in peace churches will not swear on the Bible in court. Right. They will say, you know, we don't take an oath. Yeah, we're going to let our yes be yes and our no no, and that that is part of the consistency of the lifestyle. Right, and um, I almost look at it today as like taking a vow, um, and where people, John the Baptist took what was called a Nazarite vow, where right. he wasn't going to cut his hair and he wasn't going to touch alcohol. Um, and people may take a vow today of celibacy. Right. And that's where they feel God calling them to, and it is a high calling. Right. And there's nothing wrong with taking that vow. Absolutely. Um, and there's nothing wrong with taking a Nazarite vow, um, obviously, because Jesus did not condemn John the Baptist right, for that. Right, of course. Um, and there are many religious vows that you can make a lifetime vow that this is... And a God honoring vow, not right. not like I'm never going to be like my father, right. you know, some right. some not God honoring vow right. that leads you into all kinds of craziness, but like for the sake of God, I I know He's calling me to do this, yeah, and I'm going to take this vow. To me, non resistance is on that level. Like you've yeah, chosen absolutely. this lifestyle, <laughs> and I in no way condemn it. I salute it, and I totally see that in scripture it's totally viable right and you can take this vow and this can be your life pursuit um in in time though i found it problematic applying it broadly to an entire church or an entire culture yeah um as i've as i've grown up in it and understood it um I've just changed a little bit yeah um, the old testament thing though just to bounce off of it a little bit i think we can all agree that non-resistant people do have their own explanations for why God called right. Israel to do what Israel did. Right. Um, but the best explanation that I ran across as I'm studying this, they were saying, look at the number of times 
God allowed Israel to deal with their enemies without fighting. Yeah, of course. It was almost like he was teaching the people of Israel completely rely on him without weapons, without fighting, without annihilating people. And you right. look at the number of number of times God said, "Step back." Right. And, and highlight those moments. Act on your behalf. Yeah. And and he told David, "Don't count your fighting men. Don't place your trust in the guns or the chariots right. or the horses that you have. Like you can't Place your trust in these things. They're right. not going to save you. Right. And this king over here with his big powerful army isn't going to save you. Right. I can save you through 300 men with small arms. Right. You know, and I, I have come to see that a lot where you have Jonathan and his armor bearer who go up into a camp of Philistines and God yeah. thwarted the entire army. I always love that story because <laughs> as Jonathan goes up, it wasn't even like, there was a part of me that I'm like, Jonathan was just bored that day, and he wanted to do something. Oh, and yeah, I love it because there's a point where he says, maybe the Lord will be with us. And that's in every translation of that yeah. passage. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, let's go up, and who knows? Yeah. <laughs> he uses the phrase like, who knows? Maybe the Lord will be yeah. with us. And it was like, maybe I die, maybe I live, at least I'm not bored. Right. You know? Right. And no wonder David loved that guy. Oh, I know. There's no doubt. I know. Um, they were two daredevils. I, <laughs> I just... Um, I just wanted to say, like, the threads of non-resistance all through the Old Testament are all there. Yeah. And um, so it is a consistent lifestyle. It is right. something that you can believe. But again, it is it, part of the pushback of that is I can look at that and say, but then there were absolutely times where he said, go in and annihilate everybody, like yeah. down to the the baby that was born yesterday. And, and you look at that and you go, holy cow, like, what do you do with that? You know, that that extreme of a swing. Um but I, I think, not not to justify it, but one of the things that I finally looked at in that case, because that was even a hard one for me to deal with, to look at that and say, okay, how is that justice to, to wipe out an entire civilization, to yeah. wipe out children who had never done anything wrong, who had just, they were innocent. They were but Canaanites. Then, but then I also look at it and I say, but we don't know the rest of that story. Like we, if you look at the history of Israel, you look at how God dealt with them and it was a constant situation of, okay, this is what you need to do. If you do this here's the blessings. If you don't do this, here's the harm that will befall you. We don't know. He may have done the same thing with the Canaanites before that. I mean, there, there may have been that kind of redemptive contact, and it was just beyond, because we and again... We see that in Jonah. Right. God, wanted, God right. was ready to right. destroy Right. He was constantly Nineveh. reaching out, though, and giving that, that option. And again, you see that with Israel. Eventually, the kingdom of Israel was completely destroyed and wiped out, and for a long time was just wiped off the face of the earth. It didn't exist. Um, and so... So you can kind of lay over that that idea, and I know this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but you can kind of lay over that idea of like, here's what happened to Israel. Lay that over the, the, the Canaanites. Lay that over some of the other nations that the Lord just told them to annihilate them. Yeah, um, one of the things that speaks to that, I had some notes here. One of, one of them was in Luke 9.55, um, where it talks about Jesus' disciples saying that they, they wanted to call fire down from heaven yeah. to consume these people. And it says it was contrary to the spirit of Christ. Um, Jesus says, but he turned to them and said, you don't know what manner of spirit. Uh, this is in the King James. I'm just going to read it like it is. Okay. Ye know not what matter of spirit ye are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Yeah. And so taking 
men's lives, they would say is contrary to the spirit of Christ, where in the Old Testament, God used a lot of symbols. He used a blood animal sacrifice, but the spirit of Christ right. was different. He didn't come to call down fire on yeah. people. He called to save. He came to save them. So right. Jesus is a savior, not only of me and you in our wickedness, but those people over there that we'd love to call down fire on. Right. And I think that American free speech is probably the most obvious thing that God does not use lightning bolts anymore. <laughs> so you have people saying the most blasphemous things that you could ever imagine. Right. And God does not use lightning bolts anymore. Right. I You don't see it. Yeah. They, they will open their mouth. They will openly blaspheme God. And... Nothing happens. Yeah. It's the age of grace. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. If I were God, I'd smoke them just for an example. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, man. But no, my, my uh, faith journey has come a little bit further, and, and it may continue developing. Yeah. Um, but for me, I found it problematic overlaying a vow of non-resistance over a large group of people. First of all, it creates a problem. What do you do uh, with people who are soldiers, who are public servants, who are yeah. police officers, who are government officials? Can they not join your church? Right. This is a real question right. for these churches. Um, and I've often looked at that and been like, but these are the finest people that I know. Right. And if they can't go to my church or they feel uncomfortable with what I'm doing in a church, I got to look at what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, if my, if my view of... Jesus and Christianity does not somehow make room for them. I don't know what to do with it. Right. So, and I got to reading, and this was when I was younger. I was in the Mennonite church. I'm reading the New Testament. I run across the story of Cornelius. Oh, yeah. It's so beautiful. Cornelius yeah. the centurion is there, and Peter comes in and baptizes the whole house. And Cornelius already believed in God. He knew God. Right. He understood him. He received the Holy Spirit through Peter. And his whole house received the Holy Spirit, and yet they never. He, Peter never told Cornelius, "Don't go to work on Monday." Right. You need to get out of the Roman army. Right. Absolutely. And and to me, the absence of that spoke volumes. I'm like, he is still known today as Cornelius, the centurion. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no record that he was called to lay it down. Right. And then you get another passage in Scripture where it says, the to always fear the king because he doesn't bear the sword for nothing. Right. He is God's agent of wrath to bring justice on the wrongdoer. Right. And I got to thinking, why couldn't a Christian be God's agent? Right. If he's God's agent, he's a tool in the hand of God. Right. You can't tell me he has to be a non-Christian. Right. And so if he can be, totally submitted to God and still be a tool in God's hands, and he still doesn't bear the sword for nothing, there's got to be room for Christian public servants. There's got to be room for Christians in the highest courts of any land. Yeah, and absolutely. Christian kings of any country. And that starts to really mess with the non-resistant right. overlay right. Of, of, of for a king who doesn't bear the sword for nothing, right. he's God's agent of wrath to bring justice on the wrongdoer. If he now is saying, yeah, but I'm not going to kill anybody. I'm sorry, there's an absence of justice, man. Yeah. You've got to use your sword. And um, you see Jesus before the end of his life. He challenges his disciples. If you don't have a sword, 
go buy one. Yeah. And they said, Lord, we have two swords. And I can tell you where the two were. One was probably with Judas because he held the purse. Yeah. He's probably going to have a sword. Right. The other one we know was with Peter because right. <laughs> it shows up in the garden. Because he was Peter. <laughs> because he was Peter, he was loud, and he had the sword. Because <laughs> obviously he was an NRA member. We got that <laughs> from Peter. He, of course, was. There's, he, I mean, he was a fisherman. He was a country boy. We know, I right. mean, Peter wore camo. Oh, Let's yeah. just put oh, it yeah. that way. I mean, well, <laughs> maybe not fatigues. That was Simon the Zealot. Right, But right, Peter, of course, of course. like, wore that country real tree camo. Right, that's like, right. Like, he was a bow hunter. That's right. Um, and, so, <laughs> and so he shows up with a sword, and he wants to defend the Lord's kingdom. Right. He wants to defend the Lord with a sword. And so for me, where I'm at right now, defending the Lord with a sword is not anything I will do. Yeah. Religious persecution... I will go as a lamb to the slaughter, mm-hmm. you okay? But um, when it comes to agents of the government, public servants, things like that, that is not their calling. Their calling is to bring justice, and they better do it swiftly. Right. And they better know how to do it. Right. And they better bring justice on the wrongdoer because that's your God-given job. Right. And I want to go to church with you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I Absolutely. want you to be yeah. able to do Absolutely. both that. So um, where I'm at right now, I, I just want to affirm those people. Yeah. And, I want to be brothers and sisters with them, and I don't want to make them take a vow that's not theirs. Absolutely. And um, our government has gone even further and said that personal citizens have a responsibility in this society to defend yourself, and it's written right in there. We are a country that was founded on normal people taking up arms to defend our homeland. And like it or not, the king in this country has passed some of that authority to you. Right. And your police force is not designed to prevent all crimes. Right. And your, your government has not asked, has not been tasked with totally keeping peace. Right. We expect in America for people individually to carry an element of that responsibility. How much you want to carry is up to you. Right. And that's a total, total personal decision. Um, but I would challenge you, just look at our Constitution and look at the rights afforded to people. And with rights always comes responsibility. responsibility. Yeah. And so our king in America has passed some of his justice-keeping ability to us. And it's carefully carved out in law. Yeah. Um, but for me, where I'm at right now, I want to have, have grace for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I guess, you know, <clears throat> for me, you know, coming from that initial, like we said, you know, that Reagan-esque 80s, more aggressive stance, you know, I've, I've definitely come to that place of, um, you know, I believe completely in non-aggression. Like I am 100% in that. Don't start it. Yeah. Do not start it. Um, but if it's started, finish it, you know, don't, don't be the one that's just continually, you know, sitting there waiting for somebody else to come along and and fix it for you. So I, you know, I am a non-aggression, but I, I do believe that, uh, you know, that, that people have a God-given ability and right uh, to, to defend themselves, defend their homes, and uh, defend, you know, even their, their, their nation, you know, as, as, as it were, as it were to come down to that. And, uh, and I, I think that more than anything else, though, this, this comes down to an issue of motive. Absolutely. Because, you know, I, I think about... It's an about, issue of the heart, like yeah, everything else well, in Christianity. And I think, about, I think about people in the military, or I think about people who I know are police officers, and I don't know one of them who took their job because they want to kill somebody, because they want to be aggressive, yeah. because it's not about that. It's never been about that. And, and I have to say, you know, as, as one who, you know, being that I am a firearm owner, and, and, I, and I would defend my home and my family if I needed to, 
the question lays on me a lot. You know, if I were to ever have to shoot somebody in defense of, of my home, my family, how would I deal with that reality of knowing that, you know, I who have, who I know where my standing is with God, I know where my relationship is with him, and I know that I'm in right standing with him, for me to take the life of someone who I don't know yeah. where they are in their standing with Christ, where their understanding is, and but obviously can make a judgment call based on the fact that they're breaking into my house, that there is something at least a little amiss in that relationship. You know, how do you deal with that reality of, you know, I've, I've, I have taken a life that maybe does not know God. And I, you know, where I'm at right now, I want to go to church with David's. I want to worship alongside David's and David of the old Testament. He got to the end of his life and God said, you are not to build my temple. Yeah. Because you're a man of blood. Right. And there is a price for taking someone's life. And, right. And no matter who you killed or why, there is still, they are still created in the image of God. They right. are still an eternal being. Right. And there is still a price um, that you will pay. And, and that may have been very heroic. You may have saved more right. lives by taking one. And, and yet, I know the testimony of a lot of people who have been in that situation is that it is still a weight to carry. And I don't know a single person who, who who that has not been the case for. Yeah. No matter what, no matter how just the cause, Go read no matter Chris Kyle's book. Yeah. I mean, no, no matter it's how phenomenal. justified nothing, there is there is a part you will give yourself a part of yourself away. Uh, a part of your spirit will be damaged by that act. Yeah, and it goes back to people being created in the image of God and the right. story of Cain and Abel and we all want to be as much of Abel as possible and as little as Cain. And because Cain carried a curse, he carried a mark. Right. Um, now, it does show in the Bible that Cain did live under a certain amount of God's blessings right. still. Because uh, he was still a child of the promise. Right. He still carried, it, he was still, he built cities, he became a great leader. Right. And, and so... The act of taking someone's life is not the end of the road for you. Right. If that's you, absolutely, it, it's definitely not the end of the road. It's not something that God's grace can't extend to you. It certainly can. Right. Um, and, but as far as like saying that it's never to take place, I wouldn't say that necessarily yeah. either. So. Yeah. So again, obviously, this is a this is a very complex issue, and you know, there there are a lot of opinions on it. There are a lot of convictions, both personal and and societal and and you know religious there there's just all kinds of of tangled messes of uh ways that you can get into this and and again this this more than anything else this has just been a discussion um this isn't us laying any hard we were wanting to talk about this we just saved it for you guys yeah yeah of course so so this is this is one of those things where you know i as sheldon said before you know i don't want anybody to take this as us judging you for uh, vocation that you've chosen or, or or what your history has been in terms of whether it's military, police, any of those things where you have been in a situation where you are tasked with uh, taking a life when the moment is necessary. There is no judgment here. There is no uh, condemnation condemnation yeah, at all, none at all. Um, this is just something that we feel like is a big issue and it, and it, and it bears discussing. Um, even if you can't come to an answer in the end of it, uh, sometimes you just need to talk these kind of things out and, and just hear them and, and, but here, even, where, here where they lead you as you discuss. The them. one other area that I'd like to discuss just a little bit is that I do have a particular distaste for vocal, angry, um, just 
how do I want to say, unseemly pacifism. Like people that want to destroy stuff to somehow stop the machine (laughs) or, or whatever it is that they're raging against. Right. Like you need peace in your life. Like I honor non-resistance, but there's not a lot in me that wants to honor, um, an angry pacifist. Yeah. I I don't, I, I see those as two different ideologies and I, uh, me personally, I don't understand it. Yeah. If you are a pacifist, um, where peace at all costs kind of thing, where you want to destroy every gun and destroy every bomb regardless, I, I need to talk to you. Right. I, and, and not in a way to judge you or whatever, right. but I want to know how you arrived at where you arrived. And right. this is how I arrived at where I arrived. Um, but I'm not coming at this from an angle of a pacifist. Right. Uh, I've never been there. I don't understand it. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't want to say I disrespect it because right. I'm sure people have very, yeah. especially like I can see why a victim of trauma would definitely want to be yeah. a pacifist and I, be very outspoken about that. Yeah. Um, I, I would say I don't disrespect the motivation, but no. I, I disrespect the result of pacifism. I, I don't see, I see vast injustice in Again, not the motive of pacifism, but the the fruit of pacifism. It's yeah. it ugly, ugly triumphs. You know, the school bully will win. You know, the the again in 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 situations like that, which go beyond non resistance and and just peace at any cost, it will cost you everything. And and a lot of times it's based on wishful thinking. Yeah, and it's and it it thrives mostly in places that are for the most part, peaceful. It thrives in peaceful environments. And where yeah. there is already peace, that's where this kind of thing thrives. Right. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't thrive in the face of abject evil. Right, absolutely. It usually doesn't. One of my, and, and you know, we'll kind of come to a close with, with this, but yeah, one of my, to. yeah, we're getting long we're here, but that's okay, enough. it's okay. This is what happens with us. Um, but one of my favorite lines, and I feel like sums this up so well, um, there's there's a movie called First Night. Not the greatest movie in the world. Worth seeing, but not the greatest movie in the world. Kind of a very romanticized take on on the King Arthur legend. And in this one, particular one, Sean Connery plays King Arthur, which I think is you know a he great should. a great move. Yes, yes. But there's 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 a a scene where he's getting. It's supposed to be Arthur towards the end of his life. You know, he's an older man. He wants to marry. He wants to settle down. He's he's done with. You know, his, he's done his conquests, he's done all these things, he's, he just wants to be done. And he's meeting with his knights, and somebody comes in who is bringing him a, quote, peace treaty. And it's an aggressive peace treaty, where he's basically saying, you are going to give me this particular thing that I have no right to claim, and then we'll have peace. And, and as they're going, going back and forth, you know, this guy eventually says to him, unless you, unless you submit to these demands, there will not be peace. I'll bring war to your kingdom. And Arthur looks at him and says... Sometimes there is a peace that is only to be found on the other side of war. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.